Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Let's stand together and uh, read uh, from uh, Luke chapter number uh, 2 and verse number 8. Luke 2 and verse number 8. We covered uh, much of the first part of this passage last week. We're going to look at at another uh, group of people in this this section. Verse number 8, let's read. And the Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, let's read this together, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Again, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Praise the Lord for that promise coming true. In verse number 12 it says, And this shall be a, notice, a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, notice this, let us now go, let us go in the morning when we can get some sleep. No, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass. Notice their faith, their belief, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They did not say, uh, let's, let's go find out if it came to pass. No, which is come to pass. In verse number 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now let's ask God's blessing on this word together. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. And thank you for this narrative that, that describes to us in wonderful detail that night when you came to earth. Lord, so much promise was fulfilled this night. And Lord, it would have been amazing to have been there. Uh, it would have been amazing to be one of those shepherds and to have seen all of this transpiring. And Lord, to, to have realized that they were getting to experience what had been foretold for thousands of years. And Lord, we ask that that same wonder that they had that night, Lord, that we would not lose the wonder that 
yes, today we are still experiencing the fulfillment of these promises and of this reality, what happened that night when Jesus came uh, to this earth and took on human flesh. Lord, we ask that you would stir us as believers, but I, I do ask for anyone listening or here present that does not know you as Savior, that has not yet received you into the end of their heart, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that you would convince them by your Holy Spirit of their desperate need to, to receive you uh, as the total forgiveness of their sin and as their only way to be accepted of you and to have eternal life in your presence. So, Lord, I pray that you'd work in hearts. You know the needs, and so would you take your word by your Holy Spirit and would you work in our lives today and would, would eternity be impacted um, by our time spent in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And let's be seated. Thank you for, for standing. So last week as we started this, uh, this series, Comfort and Joy, we just realized that uh, comfort and joy is a recurring theme throughout the Bible. We mentioned that 197 times. Uh, joy is brought up in Scripture. Uh, 124 times the subject of comfort has come up in Scripture. As we come into the New Testament, we find that as these angels announced the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, they said this is going to be good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. What was the great joy? It was that Jesus had finally come. We find a little bit later on in verse number 14 that they said this is going to be peace to all those that are on earth, that Jesus would bring calm and comfort to all those, but you know, when Jesus was going away and preparing his disciples for his, his departure back to heaven, he uh, reminded them or told them, he says, listen, I'm going to send you another comforter. I am your comforter right now. I'm walking with you. I'm, I'm reassuring your heart. My presence comforts you, but I'm going to send you another comforter. And yes, Jesus is our comforter. And so as we consider this matter of comfort and joy, I want us to know this, that Jesus is very much himself our comfort and joy. And if you've accepted him into your heart, you know that to be the reality. And if you're walking with him in a daily way, if you're allowing his word to abide in your heart, and as that song was just sung a moment ago, if you're allowing him to be real in your life, you know that he's your comfort and joy in every circumstance. Last week, we looked at the matter of comfort and joy in uncertain times. And though the world was kind of in upheaval, there was a dictatorship, the emperor uh, Caesar Augustus was ruling over the world and could in a moment declare that he wanted to tax the whole world, and he did, and brought all that to bear, and there was a whole lot of religious confusion that was going on in the world. But even then, Jesus came in the midst of all that and brought comfort and joy to the world. And yes, in our uncertain times, he brings comfort and joy. Today, I want to look at this group of shepherds, and I want us to realize this matter uh, that Jesus brings comfort and joy for the disregarded. For the disregarded. I'm talking about those that might feel worthless or might feel like put aside by, by the culture or by society. Those that do not feel like they have a part. You know, I realize more and more as I talk to people that fe people feel a sense of worthlessness. Uh, Satan often preys on us in, uh, in that way. And I can imagine that as you sit here today, there's many in here that, that even feel, you know what, I don't quite measure up to that person. I don't, I don't know what God thinks of me. And, and there's, there's, there's a sense of worthlessness that oftentimes can creep into our souls and into our thinking and can really dominate us and really hold us back from experiencing all that God wants wants us to experience. But I want you to see this group of shepherds as a group that was indeed disregarded in society, not of God, because none of us are disregarded of God. How many of you would agree with that? Are you all here this morning? You agree with that? 
None of us are disregarded of God. Now, Satan might tempt you. Oh, God doesn't really care about you. He really doesn't want to have anything to do with you. You've, you've blown it. You've gone too far for the grace of God. No, no, none of us are disregarded of God. But there are times where we're disregarded by other people, by a family member. Maybe you're uh, thinking and maybe you're even dreading going to a Christmas gathering because you know this feeling's going to come up because this person makes me feel this way. They just kind of put me aside. I see heads nodding. It's real. Friends, one of the most important things that you can grab a hold of, no matter what anyone else thinks about you, to be most concerned about what God thinks about you. You find your identity and your security in Jesus Christ himself. Friends, if you know Jesus Christ today, you are accepted and beloved. That is settled. No one else in the world needs to accept you. No one else in the world needs to accept you uh, any more than Jesus Christ has already, he's accepted you. Now, it would be really nice if sometimes you know, you, you'd hear someone say, I accept you regardless, I unconditionally accept you, but I want you to know this morning, Jesus has already accepted you. And if you've not yet received him as your savior, he is, his arms are open wide. There is, there is not anything more you need to do for him to open his, uh, his arms any wider to accept you into the beloved if you would just come to him by faith, acknowledging your own sinfulness and re receive him. It's there. There's acceptance. And by the way, this body called the church, the family of God, ought to be the most accepting place on the, on the planet because this is the expression of Jesus Christ. We accept. We don't condone sin, but we accept. We love. We love the person and despise, um, despise the sin, but we accept. Come. Come into this place. Welcome to the family. And so I want us to realize that there was a group of disregard, and we're going we're gonna to go through this. We're going to lay it out the best that I know how and with God's help, we're going to lay this out about these men, this class of men that were disregarded, but God chose them to, um, to announce the birth of his, Lord, uh, of his son, Jesus Christ, who was very comfort and joy for the whole world and even to them. So the good news didn't first come to the religious leaders. There are a lot of religious leaders just about four miles down the road in Jerusalem that thought they were something. They're walking around, they, they pray on the street corners, and they wanted everyone to know that there was something. And they, when they brought their offerings, they brought them in, in you know, bucket loads, and they, they wanted everyone to look at them. And when they, they prayed, they prayed in a haughty way. And Jesus even brings that out when the Pharisee prays next to the Republican, I thank God that I'm not a sinner like him, right? I mean, just the haughtiness of these men. God didn't come to them. The announcement of comfort and joy was not to them. He came to these humble men, these men that were disregarded by society. In fact, if you think about it, mothers in Israel did not say, you know, what do you want your sons to grow up to do? Well, I think I want him to become a shepherd. Now, moms didn't say that. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the desirable, notable uh, profession of life. That wasn't the profession of life that they wanted. Boy, I just hope my sons grow up and become shepherds. No, it was a disregarded, it was a socially disregarded group of individuals. It was a, it was a group that, boy, th their job was important, but it was a socially disregarded group of people. And I want us to realize it was to this group of people that Jesus came. Notice in verse number 8, just in the word shepherd, and I want you to, to follow with me from some history, that these, these were outcasts. These were outcasts. Now, uh, the case can be made, and it, it, is, it, it is 
it's verifiable that the shepherds that we're talking about in this passage of Scripture perhaps were a little less outcast than other shepherds. But still, that because of their profession, there was, there was a sense in which they were outcasts. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. They were in Bethlehem, the Bethlehem area. Uh, they were out in the field, the Bible says, keeping watch. They, they were with their sheep 24-7. I don't know about you, but I, would, uh, I don't know that I would, I would want to sign up for that job. H- how many of you would say, I, boy, that sounds great. You guys that are campers, you, know, uh, you guys that are rugged outdoorsmen, wouldn't you get tired of it after a while? I want to go home, right? Are you with me a little bit? Jeff's saying no. I don't, I, Jeff would be a great shepherd. I can see that right now. And uh, boy... Um, but they're in the, they're, they're in the, the fields around, around Bethlehem, and not far, uh, you know, it's not like way out, but it's just right around Bethlehem. And I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 35, verse number 19, and realize something about, about this area. Because right there in, uh, in Bethlehem, uh, it is said of Jacob, and Rachel died and was buried in Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. You also find that reiterated in Genesis 48 and verse number 7. But I want you to notice right in that area, Genesis 35 and verse 21, a few verses later, and Israel, or Jacob, journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar. I want you to say that with me. The tower of Adar. One more time. The tower of Adar. I just want us to lock that in our thinking and just have that uh, with us because I'm going to say a few things about this, this tower. The tower of Adar, Adar means uh, of the flock, tower, just that. So you might even hear this, this term, and maybe you've heard it before, Magdal Adar, which is the tower of the, uh, of the flock. And so I want us to realize that right there in Bethlehem, uh, right outside on the hills of Bethlehem, was this, this place where, where shepherds were known to keep their sheep and keep watch over their flocks um, by night. And that that's, was their profession. That's what they, they did. That's where they, they did it. But there was this tower there, um, and this picture was taken in around 1934. It's, it's much more down to its foundation uh, now, as I understand, uh, and, and talking to some people that were just recently there. Uh, so it is this, uh, this tower of the flock, the tower of the flock. The Hebrew is Migdal Adar. And so you'll, you'll hear uh, people talk about this a little bit, but it has some significance, uh, and we'll see that significance as we go on. So just tuck that away in the back of your mind. But it is about four miles away from the temple. Four miles up to the temple uh, there in Jerusalem would be going, uh, going north. And so the shepherds, these shepherds there in Bethlehem were not generally respected individuals. Uh, they, according to Alfred Edersheim, who is a, a Jewish historian, he said in the very first mention of the shepherds, uh, uh, according to, uh, excuse me, uh, you have the note there right in your, uh, your guide, shepherds were under according to Alfred Edersheim, were under the ban of rabbinism or the, the rabbis, and here's why. It was interesting. On account of their unnecessary isolation from religious or ordinances and their manner of life, which rendered strict legal observance unlikely and absolutely impossible. What's being said there, Alfred Edersheim is just pointing out, as he looked back in history, these shepherds, or shepherds as a class, really were banned from taking part in the religious practices because of their way of living. They were constantly out in the fields. They're constantly with their flock. They're away from it all. And so it's interesting as we consider these, these shepherds that, that even from a religious standpoint, they were, kind of, they were, they were set aside. 
Uh, they were not allowed to take part and experience the, the regular practices because they were unclean. They were set aside and they were outcasts in that way, even, even from the religious leaders. The first time that we find uh, shepherds mentioned in the Bible is, is in Genesis 46 with Jacob's family when they came into Egypt. You remember what Joseph reminded them? Hey, don't let them know that you're, you're, you're shepherds. Uh, why? Because shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. And even the very first mention, in the, on the context of the very first mention of shepherds in the Bible, we find that they kind of had their own stigma. They were kind of set to them side, not only uh, in the New Testament or the, in that, the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, where they kind of set aside by the religious leaders, but they're also set aside and outcast uh, in, the, in the worldly sense. And so I just want us to realize that it was to these guys, these outcasts, that Jesus Christ came. As I mentioned, they were probably a little bit more of an elevated class. We'll talk about that in a moment. A little bit more of an elevated class of shepherds, but they were still shepherds. They're outcasts nonetheless, but it is them, to them that Jesus Christ came who was comfort and joy. I don't know where you are in your life today and what you feel about yourself, but I am telling you, Jesus cares about you. And he wants you to, to exist and to experience the comfort and joy that he alone can bring. You do not have to have everyone else's acceptance. You do have to have his. And uh, there are people that will outcast you. Uh, you might even be outcast from your family because you follow Jesus Christ. That happens. But friends, I'm telling you, the most important thing is that you're not an outcast to God. That's the most important thing. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a real sense that, it, you know, people, as we've gathered in church, there's a lot of hurts and and. and there's a lot of things that you know, happen inside of the heart that we never reveal to other people. But I'm just telling you, Jesus came, God came to these men. He cares about people. He cares about you. And maybe no one else does, but he cares about you. And how others perceive you does not matter as much as how God perceives you. Do you believe that this morning? The world is constantly worried about what, how others see us. We need to be most worried about how God sees me. And God already tells the story. When we come to Jesus Christ, we are accepted and beloved. We are made and declared righteous. Friends, that's glorious news this morning. That is glorious news. Been declared righteous by Almighty Holy God. You talk about a standing. What is the song? Oh, what a standing is mine. And I'm forgetting what song that, that is. Uh, I think it, uh, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Maybe we should sing that at the end of the service. Heaven came down. Oh, what a standing is mine. That's so true. That's, we've been accepted. We don't, we, the world's not going to perceive us well, and others may not, even some other Christians may not perceive you well. But what matters most of all is how you're perceived to God. These guys were perceived as outcasts. God chose to give them the first announcement. And I want us to think a little bit further about this, about their job, the, the necessity of their job. Consider this. Um, with the advent of so much going online for online shopping, I have no doubt many of you have ordered Christmas presents online and so on, uh, which means that you're probably going to come in contact with a customer service agent. Now, if you're a customer service agent, we pray for you. Bless you. You have a very hard job. You get, you get, the, you get the worst of people every single day. I mean, it's like pain to be, you know, it's like getting paid to be tortured. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's difficult. Uh, I see it's terrible. It's terrible. So, but as you think about it, your job as a customer service agent your job is to be there for when something breaks down, for when something goes wrong. And you're to be there 
and now we want it 24-7. What is up with people closing down customer service stations uh, you know, at, at, at 5 o'clock? And we want it 24-7, hence we've outsourced them to other countries so that it can be 24-7, right? You understand? So they're there for a problem, and they're going to answer, you know, hopefully satisfy. Now they have these reviews at the end of the call. Uh, were you satisfied with my performance? Because we're constantly trying to work at customer satisfaction. Now, uh, I think it's Amazon that says that their goal is to be the most customer-centric uh, business in the world. Uh, and that's their, their goal. Everyone's constantly working to grow in their customer satisfaction. Now, what is interesting about customer service agents is they are needed, typically at the time of things breaking down. But rarely are, does anyone really want to talk to them. The whole reason you're on the phone is because there's a problem. I really don't want to be talking to you. Do you understand? Are you with me about that? So they're needed but not wanted. I want you to realize something about these shepherds. They were needed but not wanted. And I'm going to explain why I say that. They're shepherds. They, socially, they're, they have a, a sense of outcast to them, but they're needed and not wanted. What were these shepherds all about? Notice it says here in verse number 8, they're keeping over, uh, watch over their flock. What's their flock? What's their flock? Now, I, I don't know what exact sheep it was and, and so on, so I'm not getting into that. But their job was, these shepherds in Bethlehem in particular, their job was, in, because they were in proximity to the temple, there in Jerusalem, their job was to keep watch over the temple sacrifices. Their job was to keep the sheep that were going to be used in sacrifice to atone or to, to, to sacrifice uh, for the sins of the people. We'll just, just correlate that back to our illustration for a second. Uh, their, their, they, their job was to help people in the midst of a problem. They were needed but not wanted. So even though they're socially outcast, no one wanted to grow up. I want to be a shepherd. They're socially outcast. Their job was crucial because without those shepherds doing what they did, there weren't, there weren't sheep for the, for the sacrifices. They needed them. They, every devout Jew needed the, the services of these shepherds. Alfred Edersheim continues a, a passage in the, the Mishnah, which is a Jewish writing, leads to uh, the conclusion that the flocks which pastured there in the fields around Bethlehem, specifically around Magdal, Adar, were destined for temple sacrifices, and accordingly that the shepherds who watched over them were not ordinary shepherds. So they, they were very important in their job. This was not just a, this was not a general class of shepherds. This was uh, shepherds that watched over the temple sacrifices, and every devout Jew was going to need their services uh, as, they, as they brought worship to the, uh, to the temple. And so whether these were priestly, sometimes people will call it that these were priestly shepherds, or they were priests that were given on the job of a shepherd, we can't, we can't say dogmatically. It seems very, very likely that these were cast specifically, though, with the care of the sheep that were going to be used in, this, uh, in the sacrifices. And you know what's interesting to me? How these shepherds were treated is not really that far off from how the good shepherd is treated. Um, and, and how many times people run to him when they have a need or when they have a problem, but they don't want him the rest of the time. And so we have these shepherds that are needed, their services are needed, but they're not really wanted. You know what? There's not too much more of a demoralizing thing to realize someone needs you in their moment of need, but they don't want you the rest of the time. Are you with me? They don't want your friendship. They don't want communication. You're needed for 
what they need you for, but then beyond that, uh, there's not much need, there's not much want. And so these shepherds, their services were needed, they're personally not wanted. God delivers these tidings of great joy and comfort to them. He announces the birth of Jesus Christ to them. And I am reminded of 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty and not many uh, noble are called. You know, God God is not attracted to pride and our our arrogance about ourselves. He's attracted to the humble. He came to these humble these humble, hardworking shepherds, and he gave them the news. He gave them the news of what he was doing in the world. And people may not want you, but God does. And he wanted those shepherds. He had a task for them to perform. And I think it's pretty glorious that they got the opportunity. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being out in the field that night and getting the glorious opportunity to be the ones to first receive the message? I mean, that's just glorious. That is really wonderful, wonderful news that, that God gave to them. So these outcasts whose services were needed but not personally wanted god saw them as significant god saw them as significant notice in again they were out there keeping watch over their flocks by night they were keeping watch they they had a job a, a watch is the idea to guard they were on their task they were on their job they were focused on what they were called to do and they were particularly responsible to raise up perfect sacrifices for use up at the temple. So we already established that these were, these were like temple shepherds or they were watching over the temple flock. But their responsibility, their watch was to raise up and verify perfect sacrifices. They were responsible to, to be producing these, these sheep that would be used in that way. The Bible says in Leviticus 1 and verse number 10, over and over you'll see this term come up in Scripture about the sacrifices that would be used to sacrifice to God all being a picture looking forward to the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ would make on our behalf, were to be without blemish. Say that with me, without blemish. So they were to be perfect sacrifices. Why? Because, well, it's all looking forward to the perfect sacrifice who would one day be made on Calvary's Hill. And so 44 times in the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and also over in Ezekiel, this concept of without blemish is reiterated over and over and over again. So you couldn't just bring, oh, you know what? I like this lame sheep. I want to get rid of this lame sheep. So I'm going to bring that up and bring, make that as my, my burnt offering. No, 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 no. A perfect sacrifice. A one without blemish. One without blemish. And God over and over reiterated that. And so here these men were responsible for, uh, for the, uh, the raising up and the protecting and the keeping and the verifying of perfect sacrifices for uh, the temple. Now, I mentioned a moment ago the, the tower of the flock. And I want you to consider that with me. Again, out in the fields, it's a, a field uh, closer, uh, closer to, uh, uh, to Jerusalem than even uh, the, the traditional site of the church in the nativity. If you go back and study a little bit about the church in the nativity, it was set by Constantine's uh, mother. Uh, she had a dream, and she set holy places around that area, and so much of the tourism that happens around the places that they say, uh, you know, specific things happen, the church and nativity, it was all set way after the fact by Constantine's mother on a dream. Uh, so uh, it, it, it's kind of interesting how all that kind of transpires uh, in, in history. Um, 
So here, here we have a little bit closer to Jerusalem, this, this field, and specifically Magdal Adar, the tower of the flock, is a two-story, as you saw, uh, saw there in the picture, a two-story uh, tower. The daytime, they could, they could watch out over the flock. They could see uh, on great distances. But also in, down below in the, in the lower floor was a, a sheltered area uh, where they would, they would bring the, uh, the ewes, where they would um, have birthing stalls down there, and they would uh, care and, and keep the, um, the little baby lambs in those, in those areas. Um, one man said this way, the shepherds would wrap as these newborn lambs were, were born, would wrap them in swaddling cloths to protect the body of the lambs, uh, which were to be offered in the temple for just four miles away. Uh, they wrapped them in swaddling cloths to, uh, to help keep them without spot and blemish, especially they, they placed them there. And, you know, sometimes we think about just feeding troughs, but also the, the idea of manger there. There was a place where they placed, um, placed lambs and keep them, shelter them in this, this birthing area in, in the bottom of the McDowell Adar. Now, um, you think this goes all the way back to the time of, of, of Jacob. And this was, a, this was a, a place there in Bethlehem uh, this tower of the flock. Now you say, uh, I've not heard this before. It's a kind of an interesting study, but we'll go a little bit further. Um, this, this, this tower was, was used by these shepherds um, in the preparation of these, these sheep, these lambs, for temple sacrifice. And what's interesting to me is that Jesus, that God came to these shepherds who had responsibility in this way to watch out over perfect sacrifices or sacrifices without blemish to first come and observe the perfect Lamb of God. I mean, that just, it's just intriguing. God, God does nothing by accident. So here's these men that spend their lives working with sheep. They know them, but they got to view the perfect Lamb of God, which would take away the sins of the world. And you know what? Their gifts and their profession really didn't matter to others, but it mattered to God. It was significant to, them, uh, to God. And I think even within the context of the church, sometimes people consider, well, my gift doesn't matter. It matters to God. God was the one that said your gift functioning within the body, within the family of the church, Ephesians 4.16, helps the whole church to grow up into, into, and be edified in the Lord Jesus Christ. So your gift matters, and their gift, their profession, their job, their, their function mattered. And while they were outcasts in society and not really wanted it around uh, the things of, of religion, uh, they, they were significant to God. God wanted them, and he wants you too. He cares about you. No matter where you are today, he cares about you. But notice what God continued to allow these individuals to see. Notice how that they witnessed prophecy fulfilled. God had promised for thousands of years that he would send a, a, a redeemer into the world. Going all the way back to Genesis 3 and verse number 15, we don't even get out of the chapter that describes the fall of man before God is saying, I'm going to send a sacrifice. I'm going to send a redeemer in Genesis 3.15. I'm going to send, and he was beginning to promise that in Romans 15 and verse number 18, it alludes to the fact that Jesus was promised over and over to the patriarchs, to the fathers, over and over for thousands of years, God had been promising. Tells us in Revelation 13 and verse number 8 that the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. That God had this plan to send his son to be our 
the propitiation for our sin. And so God had promised it for thousands of years, but we go to the book of Micah. In fact, would you turn there to the book of Micah with me? Micah chapter number four, for starters. But Micah tells us 700 years ahead of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. Right? But Micah, under, under God's, under inspiration, God giving him this message told us what would happen to the very detail 700 years previous. Now, we're all familiar with Micah 5 and verse number 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, it was a small area, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be a be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. And here we have described the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the birthplace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be in Bethlehem, would be there, and, and, and this is described, that he didn't become God, at his baptism, his going forth, he has been from everlasting. His preexistence is underscored right here in the, in the Old Testament. It's prophesied. Uh, God will become flesh at this point. He's coming down and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, there's a, a great king in the Old Testament that comes from Bethlehem. Does anyone remember? David. So here, here we're in the, the hometown, the birthplace of, of King David. He was a great king. In fact, as I understand, if you go over to Israel, much surrounds uh, uh, David. Many things are named after David. Uh, and and, and, and it, it, it focuses much on, on David. He was a great king. In fact, as I understand it, um, under David's rule, though, though there was great riches and wealth under Solomon's, under David's rule, under his kingship, uh, Israel continued to expand its borders uh, much in a much greater way than in, under any other king. And so you have all this expansion under he was a, He was a wonderful king. And though, though he made mistakes and though he, he messed up in his life, he was a wonderful king and God gave him the title. Scripture describes him as the man after God's own heart. You even think about what the throne there in Jerusalem that Jesus will set on the throne of who? David, a wonderful king. Um, so it's there in Bethlehem that, that Jesus would be, would be born. And, and that's even how, uh, how others that would come along after and be looking for the, the, the newborn king would, would come to understand, hey, it said it in the Old Testament prophecies that he would be born in Bethlehem. But I want you to go back to Micah chapter 4 and verse number 8. I want you to notice something. And it says, And thou, O tower of the flock. Have we heard that before? And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. And I just want us to realize that, that God actually announces to us not only in Bethlehem as a city, but actually in Bethlehem, it would be to uh, the tower of the flock that God would bring this announcement. And I even believe that, go a little bit further, uh, from, from what I'm understanding, a lot of things that I've, I've, been, I've been studying and, uh, and looking after and talking to some folks that have been over there, uh, realizing that, that God very likely was born in this place. Now, I'm going to say a few things. You just sung a wonderful song about, uh, about the inn. And we oftentimes think the inn and so forth. The, the term there, the definition of that word inn is guest chamber. Uh, Luke uses in another place a term for inn when he's talking about the Good Samaritan. He uses another term for like a hotel type of an inn. 
but that wasn't the end that we're talking about there, guest chamber. Um, I don't know if there was family in town, but it, the Bible says there's no room there, so we're going we're gonna to go, go with that. And there's no room in the end, we believe the Bible. All right, so there's no room there. Uh, and it does not tell us that it was born in a, a stable out behind the inn. We make a lot of, we make a lot of uh, jumps and, and so on. But Micah does tell us, but thou tower of the flock, out of thee, it shall come to thee. Now, it's interesting. Now, we don't need, a, we don't need to make this a, a, a big point of dogmatism, but I, I do want us to realize and understand this, that God is very specific in how he lays things out and how he fulfills things. And these men that night were able to see God fulfilling prophecy right before their very eyes. These that were outcast and disregarded were able to see prophecy being fulfilled right in their presence. And that's an amazing thing. Now, it says here in Micah 4 and verse 8, uh, it talks about a, a, a dominion. Uh, David's rule was a great dominion, but another dominion is coming. And I'm thankful. Right now, uh, God is setting up his rule. He's established his kingdom in the hearts of men, like you and I, and that's what the Beatitudes are all about. It's, it's kind of the constitution for how his kingdom is to run in the hearts of men. But he is coming back, and he will sit on the throne of David, and it will be a wonderful rule, the first time in all of human history that a perfect king ruled in the earth. Amen. Amen to that. And he will rule with a uh, rod of iron. He will not tolerate uh, injustice, deceit, and any, uh, any of the su uh, such. But uh, I want us to t uh, look at a few pictures from over there in, out in the, the fields of Bethlehem, and, uh, and specifically uh, the Tower of the Flock. So this is where it, what it looks like now. It's sort of come down to a, uh, a foundation and I called up a pastor friend of mine that had just been there because I was studying along, I was reading along, and uh, if you have not got Alfred Edersheim's book on the life and times of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a tremendous uh, resource on studying back into Jesus' life. So he, he, uh, he helps us to, to realize, hey, here's this, this, uh, the Tower of the Flock where this announcement came, but even some go um, beyond to um, believe uh, that Jesus likely was born in this place, the birthing stalls there. It would have been a clean place. It would have been a sheltered place out, out of the way right there in Jerusalem, born. And we say that because I want you to go to Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 11, verse number 12. God says, the angels say to, uh, to the shepherds, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe, what? Wrapped in what? Lying in a manger. All right, two things. Uh, first of all, the, sw the swaddling cause, where they came from, I don't exactly know. However, it, it was understood that the, this was used often in the practice of these shepherds to wrap baby lambs for, uh, for protection and for use uh, towards the temple. Uh, some have, have said that they came from, some historians have said that they came from the priest's garments, whatever, after they, they used them up at the, the temple, whatever. But it was used in the, the, the work of the shepherds. Uh, the other thing that's interesting here is, uh, is as you look at the Bible and the words, the word uh, a, manger, is a definite article. It is, it is the manger, a manger. It's speaking about a manger. I don't, I don't, I can't get overly dogmatic, but I do know this, that there was a multiple people and households in, in, uh, in Bethlehem. And as you consider it's nighttime. They're supposed to go and find this babe. This is going to be a sign uh, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger. 
uh, whether they were going around knocking on doors, hey, do you have a baby in a manger? Uh, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Uh, they, there, were, there was a sign. God gave them a sign. God gave them something to direct them to the child Jesus. And I just believe that on this morning that God gave them specific direction. And uh, I believe that, that God brought them to a place and that all the things that God had said, it's out of Bethlehem that you're going to come, it's going to come to the, the, the Tower of the Flock, the, 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 God led these shepherds right to the exact place where Jesus was born and where he was at that, that point. And I think about the significance of God fulfilling this before their eyes. And I just want to keep on going back to this, this truth. You might not feel that you're, you're worth much to people around you. You might feel disregarded, but God values people. And he showed value to these people. He used them as these shepherds who had kind of an undesirable job to be the one who would look at, at, at the, the, the perfect lamb of glory. They had spent their time looking for the perfect lamb that would cover the sins of the people. Now they had this opportunity to look at the perfect lamb who would take away the sins of the people. And the Bible talks to us in 1 Peter 1 and verse number 19, speaking of Christ, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ were redeemed as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Aren't you thankful for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Aren't you thankful for a perfect lamb that came into the world? John the Baptist said in John 1:29, Behold the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. That's the one that they got to see that night. That's the one that they got to um, behold with their own eyes. And they'd spent years looking forward to that, looking forward to this prophecy being fulfilled. One day in Bethlehem, the perfect lamb will come. That night they got to see him. That night, this disregarded group of people got to see him. In the fullness of time, Galatians says, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They got to experience it. They got to personally experience it that night. And friends, you know what? We still get to experience over and over this happening. The promises that of, of God in the Old Testament that one day a lamb would come and it would take away the sins of the world. You got to experience that on the day of your salvation. You get to experience it every time you share that with another, saying, hey, uh, this is what Jesus has come to do. He can do it. And the, the beauty of the new birth, we get to experience this promise being fulfilled over the miracle of new birth over and over and over again. That leads me to a last thought. I think this is tremendous about the shepherds because, okay, so this group of outcasts get to see Jesus Christ which is an amazing thing. So what now? What now? Where do they go from here? I want us to notice, and we're going we're gonna to write down a few things that I think we need to take as response. They were responsive from the heart. They were responsive from the heart. These men were not, were not like, oh, well, big deal. Uh, they were not casual in this. Notice what these men do. In verse number 15, and it came to pass, when the angels were gone away, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem. Okay, we're going right now. We're not waiting until tomorrow. We're going right now. They received the message. Notice what we, we reiterated in the, in, the, in the first part when we were reading. We, we noticed that they didn't say, well, if it came to pass, or uh, you know, so that we can verify. No, they, they said, let's go see that which is come to pass, which is we know has happened. They received the message. They believed the message. Friends, if you've not yet believed the message of Jesus Christ coming into the world to take away your sins, you need to start right there like the shepherds did and receive that message. That needs to be received. And friends, I think sometimes those that have received it need to go back and get, uh, get, uh, get uh, uh, kind of 
Go back to the moment you received and, and be refreshed. Uh, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You know, just remember what actually happened on that day. And remember what actually changed on that day. Stop living in apathy and just kind of a casual Christian life. God has saved your soul as you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. They received the message, and it wasn't just that they received it. It motivated them. I wonder at believers who are unmotivated in their, in their service toward Jesus Christ. I do. I wonder at believers who really uh, don't have much care for the things of God. I was thinking about this, and as we were even uh, talking in the, in the class, well, you hear people say, well, I can, I can be a follower of Jesus Christ and not, not go to church. I don't have to go to church. You know, I wonder at a person who says, I love Jesus Christ, but doesn't love his body. I wonder. These guys received it, and there was some action that came out of their receiving. Notice what happens. They acted on the message, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They came with haste. They went after it. They focused on, on what God had said. They received it. They believed it. And their belief drove their behavior. They followed after. Friends, how are you? God told us that part of the gathering together is to provoke one another to love and good works. Friend, don't be the person that God has to, you know, it's hard to push a, a, a wet noodle. It's hard to push a rope, but some believers are just like that. Come on, let's go to church. Let's read your Bible. Let's, let's pray. Don't you believe this? Don't you believe that Jesus is, you know, is the one that can change your life? Come on, let's, uh, let's uh, be caring about the things of the Lord. And some believers are just like a wet noodle. They just, it, it just, you push on it, and it just, you know, just kind of folds. Not these guys. They received the message, and they went after it. They, they got after it. Well, I got other things going on in life. The most important thing that you have going on in life is pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important thing going on in this generation is what he is doing through his church. Friends, it's time in this December for, for believers to be busy about what God has told us to be busy about. It's time to, to focus in on God and take the message and act on it. They came with haste. I want to see that in my own life. The, the haste, or, or the, 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 the desire to do the things of the Lord. Oh, God wants me to do that? Well, I guess that's going to trump what I wanted to do. It's not even going to be a debate. God wants me to follow after him in this way. He wants me to care for this person. Well, then I'll set this aside. I'll make that sacrifice for my Lord. They came with haste. They acted on it. But notice, they didn't just act on it. Verse number 17, and when they had seen it, are you with me there? If you're with me, say amen. amen. Let's read it together. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. They made known abroad. Now, it doesn't say they waited till the morning. I'm not saying we should go sowing in the middle of the night. But I'm just saying they, they made known abroad. They let people know about what was going on that night. Everything they had heard and seen, they began to declare it in the streets of Bethlehem. 
They began to describe, hey, this is what the angel came and told us. This is what we have seen. He's over there in the manger. Uh, he is, he is, he's real. The promise finally has come. They made known abroad the saying. And verse number 18, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They were standing back in amazement. They declared the message. Friends, sometimes... Sometimes we've lost the passion to declare the message because we've lost the wonder that Jesus came and that he saved my sinful soul. Think about, think about the sins that Jesus has saved you from, the sins you want no one else to know about. You have a hard time forgetting, but God has already put them in the bottom of the sea, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He's already taken them away, but you have a hard time remembering, uh, forgetting them. But... That sin he came and he died for and he paid the full penalty for. And sometimes we lose that. Boy, it just causes us to be kind of lackadaisical in our Christianity and our following of Jesus Christ daily and taking up a cross and following after him. It also, it also robs us of our message. Why, why would I tell somebody else something that I'm not really excited about anymore? That I've lost the wonder of. It's a really sad thing when, we, when we're out and about the lost and we don't have any passion to, to tell them what Jesus is doing for us. What is Jesus doing for you right now? How is Jesus changing your life this week? What has he shown you in the word this week that, that changed your thinking and changed some behavior? What's he doing? Have you been able to share that with somebody else? Has there been an excitement to make known abroad? Has it been rolling off your lips? Well, I don't talk about religious things. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. And he's almost, he's almost gotten us to, to begin thinking, no, it's, it's, it's like taboo. Like, and, and, and true of the millennial generation, my generation, we've gotten further and further into thinking that it's, 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 some, it's, it's culturally unacceptable and even sometimes morally wrong to push our religious viewpoint, to, to, to speak our religious viewpoint. No, that's exactly what Satan wants us to think. God, over and over, he's telling, go in the world and preach the gospel, declare it. And here's these shepherds, they received it, they acted on it, and they're declaring it. And notice what follows up. Verse number 19, Mary's thinking about what in the world's all this that's going on. This is amazing. She's pondering in her heart. She's musing on this in her heart. And then it says this to the shepherds, they returned. They went back to their jobs. They didn't give up shepherding. They went back to their jobs. They went back to their place. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. God's, everything God said to them out in the fields that night came absolutely true. And they go back and they're just praising God, high-fiving with one another, excited about what God has done that night, excited about the things of God they didn't start and write a book and then uh, start a book tour and, and start you know, getting all sorts of attention. Come meet the shepherds that heard angels. No, they exalted God, friends. They exalted God. And friends, when we truly have an encounter with God and, and, and really God is working in our lives and he's that real to us, it's, it's, it's impossible not to exalt God. Maybe some of the reason we're not worshiping God and there's not, it's not passionate from our hearts is because we need to go back and, and catch the wonder of it all again and realize, hey, he did come to earth to save my sinful, sorry soul. 
I want them to do that same for somebody else. You know, in a real sense, we're all disregarded, broken, and marred by sin. Satan does not care for your soul. The world does not care for your soul. The world does not care for your soul. As much as we hear right now, and I'm not, this is not a, a, a description of health issues. This is, this is simply, everyone seems, seems to be concerned about your health. The world does not care for your soul. And they have nudged you and pushed you into certain boxes all under the guise that we care for you. Satan is a liar. He's nudged you into boxes of fear. He's nudged people into boxes of isolation. And you talk about suicide rates being up, drug rates, alcohol use, people's lives falling apart. Why? Because we care for your soul. Satan is the biggest liar and destroyer ever. And there's many that are disregarded in this world. Many. We're all, in a sense, disregarded. Not to God, though. Not to God. He came that night to them specifically as a group of disregardeds to announce to all disregardeds that comfort and joy is coming to the world. And when you truly find him, it's the greatest thing in all of life. And I want you to turn, as we would close this morning, to Galatians, or Ephesians chapter number 2, and verse number 1, and turn over there with me. God has given this good news to you, friends. He's given this good news to you so that you might come into his family. And if you've not yet, I invite you to come into his family today. I invite you. You might, you might be struggling with this decision in your heart. Today is the day of uh, salvation. Today is the day to come to Jesus. Come to him. Receive the good news for yourself. Receive Jesus as your comfort and joy for yourself. Admit to him that you are indeed a sinner and you do deserve the penalty of hell receive him to yourself receive him personally as your savior but he's also given and announced this good news this good news of comfort and joy so that you might bring others into the family and i want us to consider ephesians chapter 2 and you hath he quickened he's made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins every single one of us were born in the world dead in trespasses and sins separated from our heavenly father because of sin we're dead in our trespasses and sin but it goes on he says you in time past you walked after the course of the world this is what you did as, it, uh, as he's talking to these believers there in Ephesus according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience the unsaved among whom also we had our conversation our life our living was among them in times past in the lust of our flesh of fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind going if it feels good do it what Paul's saying Whatever you want, your flesh wanted to do, you did it because there was nothing restraining you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. You were under condemnation. You were the enemy of God. Think about that. You were the enemy of God. And I, I love what God has given us in Ephesians 2 and verse number 4. Would you read it out loud with me? Are you all there? Say amen. All right. Verse 4, ready, begin. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace ye are saved. Friends, right there, right there is the moment where God stepped into your life. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're following after the course of the world. You're 
everything the world tempted you to do, Satan tempted you to do, you did. If it feels good, do it. You went after it, and you're the child of wrath. And at that moment, God stepped into your life. Just like into those shepherds' life, to those that are disregarded by the world and those that are the outcasts even of, of, of the Heavenly Father, and you realize that God stepped in and who is rich in mercy, not just a little bit of mercy, rich in mercy, and he restored, he restored you to himself, reconciled you to himself by grace through faith. An amazing, amazing gift of God. How, how can we not respond to that message and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I don't care what the world around me thinks about me. All I care is that you are glorified with my life. And I, I care that I follow it after you. And he goes on to say in verses number 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God stepped into your life. He brought news of comfort and joy into your life. And friends, those shepherds that got the privilege of, of raising up little lambs to bring up to the temple four miles away to be sacrificed were the very ones that God says, you know what, I'm going to show to these men, to these men, to these men, the perfect Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And is it any wonder why these men were lit on fire that night to go around that city and to declare, hey, God has finally come. Messiah has finally come. And he did it just as he said in Micah 4.8. And he did it just as he said in Micah 5.2. God's word came true. And God's word is still coming true today. And friends, we can experience that. There's not going to be an experience of what the shepherds experience in the glorifying and praising God from your couch in the sense of, you know, I'll sit back and wait till somebody comes to me. Go out and make known abroad. Let it resonate in your heart. Jesus did this for me. He came for me. I'm not an outcast anymore. I'm not a disregard anymore. I, I'm valuable to God. I've been accepted in the blood. He's saved me. He's rich in mercy. He brought me to himself. Now let's go out and declare it. Let's give it to someone else. Someone else needs this. You mark it down. About every person you talk to in the world this week is going to have a sense of, I'm worthless. I'm too far gone. Bring them it. Give them the good news. You're not too far gone and you experience it. Bring them the message so that we might come back together glorifying and praising our Lord. And what an amazing, amazing story and narrative that God has given us here. And let's ask him to help us put it into practice. Okay, friends, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for these shepherds. Lord, I marvel at how you weave all of the details of your promises together. And sometimes, Lord, when we're looking at one aspect of it, we struggle. Lord, I even think about these shepherds. Maybe there's times in their own lives they wish that they had a different profession. But I imagine also on this night that they were so glad that you had, you had allowed them to be in this profession and to be at that point in history. Lord, I pray that we would, we would submit ourselves to you. And though sometimes there are, are times where we, we feel disregarded, that we'll realize that your perspective is all that matters. Oh God, would you light our hearts of fire with the truth that Jesus came and he came for our hearts. He came to bring comfort and joy to us so that we might bring it to others. Lord, would you do that? I pray that you would revive our hearts. Lord, there's too much coldness. There's too much lukewarmness. Lord, we, we go days and we're, we're too apathetic. Lord, you told us in the, the letters to the, the Church of Revelation that, that if we don't respond to your, to your message and 
and your encouragement, your exhortation to, to go back to the first things and reignite our first love and to, to get hot and not be lukewarm. Lord, that you told us that you would even go as far as taking our candlestick. Lord, we, we don't want to lose our light in this community, in our neighborhoods. We don't want to. Lord, I pray that you'd revive us again, that we'd have that same fervor as these shepherds did that night going abroad, declaring your message. Lord, minister to each heart, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.